With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Hello and welcome to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. My name is Max Hadzoglu, I'm your host and I cannot wait to share the show with you today. We've got a big show coming up, we've got a guest coming on to talk about how to breathe an important skill to have in life. Uh, As well as that, we're going to have our regulars on here to talk about the hot sporting topics, including the Australian Open, the cricket, the IPL auction that just happened, and lots more. So I hope you enjoy the show, and thanks for tuning in. And now we welcome our next guest onto the show, sports writer Patrick Morrow. How are you going, Patrick? Very good, Max. Pleasure to be on again. Thanks for coming on, and uh, you're here today to talk some cricket. Um, and there's been a little bit happening in the world of cricket. Uh, the Sheffield Shield in Victoria, the domestic cricket competition, just started. Um, and also the One Days has also started in the, in the domestic Australian cricket competition. Uh, and there's also a little bit of cricket that's been happening in India uh, via the IPL auction. Um, and there's been a lot happening there with uh, players going for ridiculous amounts of money. Um, but we'll hand it over to you. Uh, what would you like to uh, talk to us about today, first up? Uh, we'll talk about the IPO auction. As you mentioned, uh, ridiculous amounts of money for a lot of players. Uh, the most headline for the Australian um, players was Glenn Maxwell and Jai Richardson. They were both sold for a combined $5 million uh, at the IPO auction. So it was 2.5 for both. Uh, so it was something it was yeah. pretty outrageous. Uh, another one that was picked up and probably got lost in all the headline was Riley Meredith. Um, the Tassies bowled amazingly well. Uh, he went for $1.42 million Australian to Punjab. So he'll be at the Punjabi Kings with Richardson. Um, it was quite crazy. Some of the money getting flowed around. Um, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite odd to see, um, seeing people getting auction off for a cricket, for, for a cricket team. Uh, it's mm. pretty, uh, what's it called? I'd say, quite interesting and quite intriguing and something that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world in any sport. So uh, it's quite interesting. I think, I don't know, Joe Richardson, is that worth that money? Um, he did perform well in the Big Bash, but at the same time, hasn't really played a lot of test cricket. Um, it was quite funny. They were talking about uh, Joe Richardson getting picked up in the IPL and they had old highlights of him playing um, in the test match against Sri Lanka. It's like, that's how long ago he hasn't played a game for Australia. So, um, yeah, it's a long one. good. I think Glenn Maxwell getting picked is, it just proves the point once again that he's probably uh, the best, maybe the best T Twenty player we've got for Australia, uh, in between Smith and probably uh, Stark if he gets the radar going with the white ball. So the more interesting ones was a lot of the people who got unsold, um, like the guys like um, the Nepalese leg spinner in Labashian. Uh, Marnus Labuschagne, uh, also the Australian batsman, he didn't get picked up at all. Um, Sean Abbott didn't get picked up, and he ended up making seventy odd in the Shield uh, yesterday. So, yes. so and we you know, know you so like we know you like Sean Abbott, uh, Patrick. You, recently, I saw your article on him and why he deserves to uh, get a Test cap. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. More of a retweet to uh, a bit of a more of a retweet retweet Max to kind of tell the audience that probably he should have got picked for the for the te- for the test series and for the next test series coming up should be in the squad and you know guys yeah. like that I go well, and then they 
and then they the IPL was weird. They would the auction um, back to the auction in in the way like there was blokes who got picked that you go, how are they getting a game? And then you look at it and you go, well, it's only because it's T Twenty cricket, so they're going to pick whoever can generally be the deaf bowler or the big slogger. And you know, Dan Christensen, yeah. Dan Christensen got picked up again. Um, Eight hundred fifty thousand for Dan Christensen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the most surprising one out of all of them was Max was uh, Cheshire Pajara um, playing in his first IPL for eight years. Um, so that's a big pickup for Dali. Um, yeah. He'll probably, he'll probably won't block. I say he'll go on the big uh, advantage shots. But, you know, I'm surprised he wants to go back and play a bit of white ball cricket. I thought he was playing more first class cricket. But, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's quite interesting that Someone like um, like Glenn Maxwell, for example, going for two point five two million is that's that, that's it's a lot of money, but it's fair enough that he's the highest sold Australian cricketer to go in the IPL auction. Um, but it's intriguing that you get someone like Steve Smith, like and a player who's at his level and. Maybe even better. A lot of people rate Steve Smith more than Glenn Maxwell. Steve Smith's playing Test cricket uh, one day, is but obviously this is a T Twenty tournament, and Glenn Maxwell's probably got the um, probably got 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 it over him in T Twenty cricket. Um, but for him to go um, at three hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars, and Maxwell to go at two point five mil, is just it's mind boggling. It doesn't doesn't really make sense. Um, in a way, um, it's it's quite amazing. Um, and then you got Dan Christian going for eight hundred and fifty thousand. Um, ben Cutting one hundred and thirty three thousand, which is probably a bit of a bargain there. Uh, he he can bat and bowl, um, so that, that's a pretty good pick pick up by Kolkata Knight Riders. Um, Kolkata, sorry, that was very badly pronounced. Um, and then, are there any surprises for you in the in the auction? Someone that didn't get picked up. Um, or anything that stood out to you from that uh, auction? I think what stood out was probably the English players, uh, Joffre Archer and Ben Stokes getting picked up. And then uh, there's a bit of controversy to do with that because the IPL is going to be played. Uh, I haven't looked at the dates correctly, but I know they're meant to be playing test cricket when the IPL is on. And the argument is if they get uh-huh. to the final, um, or what are they going to do? So there's a big bit of a, a big uh, a debate going on in the English cricket scene over what the Stokes and Joffre Archer do, because considering the fact they're probably wanting to play in the T20 stuff, but also want to play the Test cricket, and I think might clash due to coronavirus. I think they're trying to make it sure they play it during India's better weather months, as in the in the in the dry season. So probably you won't see them playing Dubai again. I think they'll probably try and get it back to India because of the crowds coming back, as we saw in the Test match in England last week. Uh, at Chennai um, So I think there's a bit of a clash I haven't looked at the calendar properly Max But I did hear there was a bit of a clash to do with Or what happens if they've got to play a test match uh, I think they're meant to play against New Zealand or something before the World Test Championship And that clashes with the, the IPL finals Or something in that terms um, So we're quite interesting What's going to happen there And that was something that was surprising And also the money they went for as well Was quite low considering how good um, Ben Stokes is a batsman and bowler, and I think Joffre Archer probably is probably one of the better T20 bowlers going around. And um, 
someone that I would say is a much better T20 bowler than a test cricket bowler. Um, it was surprising how much money he went for as well. At the same time, uh, I can see why the England cricket board are complaining because they probably want their best two players to be playing in the red ball stuff before the white ball stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting how it's going on there. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something, there's a player from Australia that stands out with that, and that's Mitchell Stark, who didn't uh, put his name forward for the auction. And I feel like for him, like, he's missing out on all this income that he could be earning. Like, surely he gets rewarded in some way for for putting his country first and by not playing in the IPL tournament so that he's fresh for the summer. Um, these days you hear, um, you know, a fair few players sort of getting tired at the end of the, at the at back end of the summer and, and they're sort of fatiguing and, and they, they don't want to come back and, and finish the big bash season and stuff like that. But you, you should, I think credit is due to Mitchell Stark here for probably putting the country first by not playing in this tournament where you could earn so much money. Um, it's a tough one, but I think he, he's doing a great thing because I bet you next year when the big bash is happening, he'll probably, probably be playing games that he can fit in. Um, when he's not playing for Australia because he's feeling fresh um, compared to some of the other players that have played a big IPL tournament and then they're coming back and after not much rest, then they're getting into an Australian summer. Um, I, th- I feel like there's a, there's a little bit of um, rewards that should go um, Mitchell Stark's way because he's missing out on all this money from the IPL. Um, and I don't know the reason why he's not, um, he didn't put his name forward, but um yeah it's he's i think he's he, whatever by not playing he's doing a good thing for probably his own body and his own cricket um for australia um so it'll be interesting to see um how that how that plays out and, and if anything happens with him um by not playing in the australian in the IPL but you see players like Aaron Finch Marnus Labuschagne then they didn't get picked up unfortunately for them um, but it's going to be good. Alex Carey as well, Sean Marsh, uh, Matthew Wade, Sean Abbott, your man, Patrick. Um, uh-huh. You know, and then all these other players like Wes Agar, who had a great BBL tournament, they didn't get picked up. So they're going to be fresh for the summer, which is a positive. Um, and I feel like there should be some sort of, I don't know, they, 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 they will benefit from not playing because they'll be fresh. Um, and then... Yeah, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah. we'll move on. Um, were there any last things you wanted to point out on in the IPL and what happened? Oh, just quickly, I think I think the players who you mentioned who did not get picked up, I think it's quite unfortunate. Um, I think also the thing that people don't understand with this IPL auction is it's a very... It's very like the NBA draft. It's very just, oh, we probably have this bloke. We're going to probably pick up four guys who we know we're going to pick up. And the next, uh, you know, seven to 15 blokes, because uh, it'll be about 23 in a, 24 in a squad, because um, you need your 13th and 12th man. Um, probably they're picking players up. Also, the BCCI have a lot of control on what actually does happen in the auction. So, um, and that's something where a lot of people have questioned, you know, why have not Aaron Finch and Short Marsh and those likes have not got picked? And probably it's just on form and probably they look at their, what they do in the, in the overall T20 competitions and 
go from there, which can sometimes be a bit of a hit and, hit and giggle comp as well. Like, you know, you look at the Pakistan Super League or the, the Caribbean Premier League, you know, it's not all the top players playing in that. And that probably downgrades it a bit. Um, even the Big Bash can have that, even even the Big Bash can have that issue as well. So probably people question, you know, the standard of what they're playing. And you can't help it when you know, there's a test series going on and you can't have the top players playing. So, you know, it's quite, as you were saying, it's a positive that they're not playing. And I think gives them a rest. Maybe that will help those guys focus on their technique better. Um, probably someone like Aaron Finch probably doesn't need to be playing T20 cricket. Probably needs to go back and play a bit of red ball or even one day cricket trying to just build the technique again because his technique's been found out a few times, especially in the big bash. So that's something that will be interesting to see. Yes, absolutely. And we'll, um, we'll watch that um, with a keen eye. Um, but we'll go now to, it's an amazing, amazing the IPL auction and, and what happens during that um, period. And, and yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable. Um, and if you, if yeah, it's definitely worth taking a look at the list of um, players that have been sold and, and the amount of money they've been sold for. Um, you just got to the issue I find is you got to convert the currencies so you can uh, sort of figure out how much uh, they're actually earning um, in Australian dollars. Um, we're going to pause our interview there with Patrick Morrow, and we're going to go to our next interview, which was with a new guest onto the Sports Hour, Connor Kennedy. So I hope you enjoy it. And now we're going to welcome our next guest onto the Sports Hour, a personal trainer, a nutrition coach, Connor Kennedy. Welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm very well, thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. G'day, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. It's a real privilege to have you on. And uh, you're coming from a different sort of perspective. Uh, Usually, typically, we get sort of the sport fanatics um, and, and, you know, the sporting fans and, and... sort of the, the people that, that love sport and play sport. Um, and that's certainly you, but you also have a little bit of, uh, you know, nutrition information and knowledge as well as uh, personal training. So it's great to have Absolutely. you on. Yeah. And we're um, really looking forward to having you on today. Uh, and we're here today. We're going to get you on over the next few weeks, over the next few shows to talk about different things that you, um, that you'd work with, that you, that you work uh, with your clients with, such as breathing, uh, yoga, meditation, exercise, diet, sleep, different, all sorts of different things. So each week uh, we're going to have you on um, to talk about each aspect and, and those different topics. And today uh, we're going to kick it off with breathing, uh, which is an interesting one, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights about it. And, uh, yeah, I'll kick it off with um, the, the basics of breathing um, and breathing through your nose versus breathing through your mouth and, um, and the differences and what, what is best. Um, because there's people out there oh. like me that probably don't know exactly these, this information. And, um, yeah, uh, what, what can you tell us a little bit more about it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Breathing is something, it's really interesting. It's something we all naturally do. Our body looks after it for us. We don't have to think about it, but, Uh, there's actually a big difference between breathing and breathing really well and really effectively. So a lot of people ask the question, which is better, nose breathing versus mouth breathing? Nose breathing is much, much better for you. So first of all, it's because the body actually designed the nose more specifically to breathe um, more than the mouth. The nose adds warmth and moisture to the breath, which makes it easier to get into the lungs and 
oxygenate our uh, parts of our body in the, in the tissues. Um, so there's actually been lots of studies done on it. Um, kids who have breathed through their nose versus breathed through their mouth have turned out much, much better later on in life. And, and kids who have breathed through their mouth chronically at an early age have led to all sorts of problems with not just their respiratory system, but other systems in the body. So, um, so one thing to practice is, is first of all, definitely breathing through your nose all the time. Whenever you can think about it, make sure you're, you're breathing through your nose. Yeah. And um, with that, so as you said there at the end, like you should always be trying to breathe through your nose. Is that always the case or is there times where you should breathe through your mouth and that's actually the better option? Yeah, good question. So there are, there are times where you will have to breathe through your mouth. Okay. Now, uh, breathing through your mouth is a lot more efficient, uh, a lot better for you on the exhale. So it's usually fine to breathe in through your nose and then out through your mouth, right? Um, but during exercise, often we can't get enough air in through our nose. It's just not possible because the mouth allows us to take in more air. So although the mouth isn't efficient at getting oxygen through our body to the different parts, we might have no other option during intense physical exercise. And if this is the case, then obviously you'll have to breathe through, breathe through the mouth there. But uh, whenever possible, when you're not doing intense physical exercise, it's definitely better to breathe through the nose in through the nose yeah so it's in so in like you know as we are right now doing this interview the best you breathe in through your nose and then out through your mouth is that uh so definitely in through the nose how you breathe out doesn't matter too much um yeah. whatever's more comfortable for you some people will prefer out through their mouth some people will prefer out through their nose personally um i do a bit of a mixture of both um but yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter too much, but make sure you're breathing in through the nose. Yeah. And as you said earlier, like for those people that do sort of have breathed the wrong way from a young age, um, what are some of the, the effects, like the negative effects from, from that? And do you, do you know sort of specifically, I know it's a bit of a, um, I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you know sort of some of the effects, how it has affected some of those people that haven't breathed, yeah, properly and built the good habits yeah yeah it's actually really interesting um the the biggest thing is that they they find it just harder to breathe later in life they can't get as much air in um and they so their whole respiratory system becomes less effective and when the respiratory system is less effective then we can't get as much oxygen to all the other important parts of our body so respiratory system is is really key to everything so we can get oxygen to all of our tissues and all of our muscles and everything, um, especially if you're a sportsman, an athlete. Um, and so they've actually done studies um, on, on athletes and AFL players actually. And, um, and what breathing through your nose does at an early age is it actually has an effect on your jaw. And so if you look at a lot of the top athletes, they'll have a really chiseled jawline because they're nose breathing from a, a young age, which helps their performance a lot. And it, it gives them a, a chiseled jawline. It's an interesting fact for you. Wow. Oh, that's, uh, I'll look out for that then. Um, look at elite athletes and their jaws. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about the breathing with the diaphragm? And there's a test I hear that's involved with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, 
personally, I think even more important than breathing through the nose um, is breathing with the diaphragm. Um, and a lot of people might not know what I'm exactly talking about when I say this, but there's a quick thing you can do to, to see if you're using your diaphragm. And when you take a breath, it should be completely just your belly moving, just your stomach. There shouldn't be any movement in the chest, nothing in the shoulders. So if you're lying down on the ground, uh, you can test yourself and you can just notice your breathing. You can take in a few deep breaths and look at what's happening. Don't think about it. Most people, I guarantee you, unless they've uh, actively practiced belly breathing, will be using their chest um, a, a lot more. Now, why it's actually important to breathe with the diaphragm is uh, like I was talking about with the nose breathing, it helps oxygenate the body much, much better than breathing through the chest because we can get more air in um, and, and it, it gets to deeper parts of the body and, and fills up the muscles with a much higher oxygen capacity when we're using our, our diaphragm as well. Um, so you'll often see like a lot of people that struggle with asthma, um, you'll, you'll look at how they breathe and it's just all coming from their chest because they just can't get any, any air deep in the lungs. Um, and so, so that's why diaphragm breathing is, is really important because we get that air fully in. Um, and not only this, but when we breathe through our diaphragm and our, our stomach's moving up and down, it actually massages our, um, our intestines, which can actually get tight, believe it or not, um, behind the abdominal wall there. So when we, when we breathe effectively through, through the diaphragm, it actually loosens everything else up in the, in the core as well there. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's, uh, that's, it's interesting um, that you say um, people with uh, asthma, um, how they, they, it's all breathing through their chest. And, and I remember when I, um, when I, I follow you on Instagram, Connor, and I watched that video on how to breathe um, and I did the test um, straight after you, you just, you described it in the video and, and told the viewer, the viewers how to do it. Um, and yeah, like it feels a lot better doing breathing and just with the belly coming up and down rather than the chest. Um, and it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's amazing how people with asthma um, are actually doing that. Like for a lot, most of the time they're breathing and, they're, it's, and it's their chest coming up and down. That's, that's quite yeah. amazing. And it's really good that you're sharing this information because when I first watched that video, that's when I was like, wow, um, now I know how to, breathe properly and what I actually need to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if, if you are watching and you do this little test on yourself and you notice that you're breathing a lot through your chest or it's not all coming from your belly, um, which it should be, then don't panic. There are things that you can do to, to, to fix it. Okay. So the easiest thing you can do is just actively practicing it. This, you get so much better at belly breathing through practice. Um, even a year ago, I, I wasn't a full belly breather at all. Um, and now, um, after, uh, after only a couple of months of, of practicing it, now it's just um, all the time I'm breathing through my belly, whether I'm thinking about it or not. Um, okay, so the biggest thing is just practice. But there are actually ways you can kind of make it easier for yourself to breathe through the diaphragm. So first of all, if you take your hands and you put two fingers together, make them little kind of knife edges, and you rub the insides of your ribs just underneath your rib cage, you rub all of the, that area there. I'm not sure if the viewers can see me or not, but 
Uh, you rub underneath the rib cage all the way along, and then you go up the sternum and you rub it along there with your knuckles. Now, this just massages the diaphragm and kind of tells it, okay, it's time to work, it's time to activate. So you can go just under the collarbone here as well. This doesn't take very long. 15 seconds is all you need to do. It gets the diaphragm activated a bit more. And then there's one more thing that I've found has really helped me uh, use, use the breathing more effectively through the diaphragm is to pretend that you're smoking. So you get three fingers, put them together like this, put them in your mouth, and then try and take a deep breath. And the fingers are there making it harder for you to breathe. So the breathing muscles have to work harder to get that breath in. It activates them. You can take three or four breaths like that with your fingers in through your mouth. And you'll find that after you do that, it becomes easier to breathe because the muscles have switched on and they've activated. Yeah. Thanks for that, sharing that, um, Connor. And um, that's, that's, that's great to know. Um, we're doing that every single minute of our lives. So... Um, Absolutely. There's, there's nothing much more important than knowing how to breathe. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, completely, completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Now, Connor, I wanted to ask you a little bit about breathing under pressure um, in competition. So while we're playing our sports, while we're doing a workout, exercising, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know you touched on it earlier, um, but could you tell us a little bit more about that and sort of clear it up? for all the sports people out there and, and everyone that does exercise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so two, two things they're they're slightly separate is breathing during working out and breathing while in a sporting competition. Um, you'll, you'll want to be breathing in slightly different ways. So, so first I'll talk about during sport um, where it's really intense. You're, you might be in the middle of a, of a, intense game and like i was talking about before it, it might be too hard to get the breath in through the nose and so if that is the case um you you try to breathe through the mouth but it really just stems back to the principles that i've been talking about you you try to get in as deep a breath as you can and you try to make sure it's through your belly so obviously uh it, you know if you're in the middle of an intense game it's, it's hard to think about this but if you've got you know like a minute break or, or something or you're just um on the other side of the field or, or something like that, you can just remind yourself really quickly about your breath. You can take a couple of deep belly breaths. This will calm you down. It'll help get the oxygen flowing around the body into the muscles that you need. Um, and and this will make a big difference in your, in your sporting competitions. Now, during exercise, um, how we want to breathe in, in while we're lifting weights is we always want to exhale on the effort phase. So if you don't know, um, when you're lifting weights, there's called the concentric phase of the movement and the eccentric phase of the movement. Now the concentric phase of the movement is when our muscles are working hard. It's when the muscle is shortening. So on a bicep curl, it will be when I'm curling the bar or the dumbbell up to my bicep. That's the concentric phase because my muscle is working hard and it's shortening. Um, so that's a hard phase. And the eccentric phase is the opposite. It's when the muscle is lengthening. It's often the easier phase because humans are 20 to 30% stronger eccentrically than they are concentrically. So when, our, when we're breathing during working out, we want to be exhaling on the effort, on the concentric phase. So for example, again, if you're doing a bicep curl, when you're curling up, 
you breathe out. Now, when I'm working out, I usually find it easier to breathe out during my mouth um, when I'm exerting the effort. Um, and then if I can get enough air in through my nose, I breathe back in through my nose on the eccentric phase of the movement. Okay. So uh, it, it does take a little bit of practice. And then after a couple of workouts, it starts to come naturally. But you also want to make sure you're, you're as well as keeping a, a stable spine and everything, you do want to make sure you're still belly breathing during this time. And this will ensure that you're um, able to get that oxygen around to all of those muscles, which is so important. So like I said, you'll be breathing out through your mouth on the hard part of the movement, the concentric part. Coming and then you're coming in uh, through your nose, if possible, um, and through your belly. Yeah. on the easy portion of the movement on the eccentric phase does so that when, make sense yeah so when you're when you're when the effort's required and, and you're you're pushing something or pulling something that's yeah that's when you're trying that's when you're breathing um you're breathing out when you're when you're putting in the effort so so when you're about yeah, to hit a ball absolutely that's when you put in the that's when yeah. you're breathing out yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so if you're doing like a squat or something, um, and when you're when you're extending up, when you're pushing up the hard part of the movement, that's when you're breathing out, um, and you can extend that out for that portion of the rep. And then when you're coming back down and you've got you know a couple of seconds, that's when you breathe in through the belly. You set up for the next rep and you explode back up with your with your out breath. Yeah, I'm eager to um, go. Go on. Yeah, it, it, it sounds it sounds complicated, but a bit of practice this will really help you out. Yeah, it. Um, I'm eager now to go out and uh, and go go to a workout or, or just go and do something and then and make sure I'm breathing the right way. Um, but uh, thanks yeah, very much. It's, yeah, it's something not many people think about, isn't it? You know, um, people just think breathing breathing happens naturally in our life. Um, and it does, but there's a huge difference, like I said earlier, between breathing well and just breathing. Well, Connor, uh, thanks very much for sharing this interesting insight into breathing. Um, we're really looking forward to having you on over the next few shows, talking about different sort of topics. Um, we really appreciate your time. And uh, for the listeners out there, you can uh, jump on his Instagram page. I don't, I'm sure you don't mind me uh, advertising this, Connor. Um, Connor Kennedy, uh, if you just search that up, you can find him on Instagram. So um, really appreciate your time, Connor, and uh, I look forward to chatting to you over the next few weeks. No, thank you so much for having me, Max. It's, it's been a pleasure, and I hope this helps some of you out there. Out. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Connor Kennedy. Now we're going to resume our interview that was playing before with Patrick Morrow. So I hope you enjoy that. We'll move on now, Patrick, and uh, there's been a little bit happening in the Shield New South Wales uh, played against Victoria and um, it was a close game, low scoring and uh, Victoria ended up um, taking the chocolates. Um, and uh, yeah, there were a few special performances in that that uh, you, you saw and wanted to highlight today. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was an interesting game of cricket. Um, I watched some of the first day and second day and most of the third day. It was quite of a Tricky game of cricket to bat on. Uh, the pitch was quite green early on. Sydney had a lot of rain, so um, it was going to be a lot more interesting than the one-day game they played a couple of days beforehand, which was pretty much a road at North Sydney Oval. 
and see Swift was belting it all around the place. Um, he definitely looked um, looked out of touch there. Steve Smith, he got caught by um, Mitchell Perry, the uh, Richmond uh, Richmond player who uh, got his name up into the into the into the uh, fifteen minutes Spotlight. of fame this week mm. uh, with a with a beautiful outswing ball that got Smith caught again. Um, you know, just smart bowling and probably probably done his research really well. He and took five wickets for the match. And yep. Scott Boland uh, took five wickets in the match as well. Um, Victoria played really well, um, considering the fact that pitch was doing a lot early on. Uh, Moses and Riggs batted really well. I think he made about a 60-odd. Sean Abbott, my man, he made a crucial 73 in the second innings. He was hitting the ball all, all over the place. At one stage, New South Wales in the second innings were eight for about 70, I think. Um, so they were in trouble and needing to put on a lead to make sure that Victoria had a tricky chase to get. And they did have a tricky chase. Because Nathan Lyon, Nathan Lyon uh, spun the spun the web again. Got ten. Opened the bowling. Back. Opened the bowling as well. So it was a bit of a traditional SCG pitch in a way. Max with the ball spinning and steaming around, and um, yeah. it all all got a bit tricky for the Victorians at one stage. Still needing about fifty to win with about four wickets in hand, and then Jake Fraser McGuirk finally stepped up and he made a lovely thirty-four. That probably. Again, proves why he's picked in the Victorian team. Um, finally, finally, he's done something. I, I was questioning his selection beforehand, but I think you know that 34 justifies um, why he got picked and good on him. Um, you know, if he keeps making these runs and he's you know making runs in front of um, Russell Arnold and the likes, uh, he'll probably probably get the call up to play for Australia when he's 21 or 22. So it's looking really good there, and I think. I think Victoria, you know, the sele- some of the selection of the players were quite interesting. There's a lot of guys in the one-day team that co- probably could play in the test team, uh, not test team, sorry, shield team. Um, I think Xavier Crone was a bit unlucky in the one-day game, got hit around a bit, and also the Oval was a tough one to play on. And he was someone I was surprised who didn't really get the call up to play at the red ball uh, level. Um, he looked really, he yeah. does look really good, and he does have it, does have the uh, cook- red kookaburra in his hand. So. Uh, but, you know, Nathan Lyon uh, took six for 21 in the first inning and really looked like he was going to win him the game for New South Wales. But Fraser McGuirk stepped up when it needed and they got the job done there. So that helps Victoria. I think that gets it back into them into a shield final contention. Um, so that's really good. Well, for New South Wales, well, you know, they could, that may be their own fault for playing on a real, you know, green deck early on. Probably could have made it a road and batted it out, you know. So uh, that's how it rolls. Yeah, and there's one thing that I've been thinking about and I've been onto it for a while now, um, and it's Steve Smith and how to get him out. Now, in, in this game, both innings, he went out um, sort of nicking the ball. The, the second dismissal was controversial. I think it, I'm pretty sure it came off his um, thigh and caught his thigh and made a little noise and... Um, the, the the guys behind the stump right rightfully appealed because how would they know where, what it's come off whether it's his bat or his thigh but um, the replay proved that it, it probably wasn't his bat and it was his thigh um, and he got caught behind but uh, beside the point he he went out both times sort of um, fending at a ball outside off now I think that is the spot to Boulder Smith because the way he bats. He loves, he loves, he steps across his stumps. He, he, he gets his pads in front of his stumps. He wants bowlers to bowl on the stumps and on his pads because he's so good off his pads. Um, and that's why he steps across, I think. And that's why he opens up. 
his his stance. So that front leg is out the way, so he can hit everything off his legs and through the leg side. And bowlers fall into the trap of trying to bowl on his pads and get him out LB or bold. And I just think that's not the way to do it. And a lot of players for years have been getting sucked into that. A lot of teams, a lot of captains have been sucked into trying to get him out bold and LBW. But the best way to get him out, I believe, and it happened in this game in both innings, was caught behind, bowling just outside off on about the fifth stump line, getting to play cover drives. The best shot for for if you're playing against Steve Smith is you want him to see you want he, you want to see him playing cover drives because you're going to sneak him off and I think that's the best way to get him out because he doesn't step towards the ball too much his front foot step isn't big at all he loves to play off the back foot his weight's on his back foot if you can get him coming forward playing cover drives or even just trying to block a ball outside off that is what you want and keep an eye on it for me Patrick because I think this is this is figuring Steve Smith out. And he's such a good player because he'll probably leave about 20 balls that you bowl just outside off. But mm-hmm. when you get to the 21st ball or maybe the, the, the 30th ball, hopefully he nicks it. And I think that's how you get Steve Smith out. Um, and and it, it, that, that was proven this game. Um, he, he went out bowling that fifth stump line nice and full. Not too full. You want to obviously hit a length. You don't want to give him half volleys. But... That's how I think you can get Steve Smith out. Uh, and it happened this game. And, and every time I see people bowl to Steve Smith, that's all I think about. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's in, what do you think? Um, like, this is something I've, I've had a deep, deep, deep thinking about. I've, I've thought about this for a while and how to get the, the, one of the greatest batters ever, really, um, how to get him out. And, yeah, I, I just hope, um, I hope that continues to happen well no i don't hope that wow. i hope i hope my um my my method is uh is is proven and it works um but well, I'll Smith- you're helping out all the bowlers out there so i'll give you give you credit there but um yeah as you were saying you know and i can repeat the same thing you were saying but i'll, I'll just say it in a different different way but i'll say that you know the one thing that people have worked out that steve smith is he's offside he's less he's on onside dominant dominant and also yeah. um also as you were saying you know he's cover drive for him to play his cover drive the one thing that doesn't help him is his head um and you know this well max as a batsman you, you know that if you play a cover drive you've got to have your head still to the shot his head is not still his head is up in the air so he's probably looking like he's going to hit the ball mm-hmm. um but probably as he's hitting the ball he's probably playing it and then going a little bit earlier than he should and then his head's in the air, so as he's playing and he's missed it as he's trying to play it. So it's a bit yeah. like, it's a bit like us. It's kind of like someone going down the ground and probably missing the ball as they normally do, as you normally do. You know what I mean? So yeah. something like something like that in a way, and that's something I think he will have to work on with his technique and probably probably something that he might need to go and go. Hey, to someone like Ricky Ponting, who was a perfect example of a cracking cover drive. If anyone wants to see a. a so anyone wants to see how to play a cover drive, watch Ricky Ponting's highlights or Steve Wars. Probably those two guys would be the perfect two blokes to sit down and talk and go, well, what am I doing wrong playing the cover drive? And, he'll, and they'll probably point it out to him. Your head's not going still and your feet are not moving. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think he's getting caught out. And I think the bloke who started this whole rot has to be, and I've got to give credit to him, is Stuart Broad. Uh, he found out the way to do it. And 
I think what what happened in Trent Bridge in 2015 probably gave the blueprint to other bowlers around the world how to bowl to him. And, um, you know, some days he gets onto him, some days he doesn't. And, you know, the one thing that, the one thing that, uh, one thing that I think a lot of bowlers have worked out, it's a bit like baseball. You've got to kind of bowl not to his hitting zone. You probably need to do what they do in baseball and not throw in the zone. They probably just throw it out wide, throw the ball and then hope for it that he swings and misses or has to play it. And, C. Smith's an eager batsman. He's very severe. Him and Marnus, as I was saying, him and Marnus, they love to get on the strike, love to score runs. They love to nick it around. And probably that's his downfall, just too impatient, especially in, especially in the first innings where probably you just need to settle down and just let Perry bowl to him. Um, so, and that's no disrespect to Perry. I just think, I just think you know, if you're C. Smith, you probably should be able to face a guy bowling 120 kilometres, bowling out swing, and probably should be able to hit him off the cover. And it's like, so, yeah, so, but that's yeah. how it rolls. And there's going to be days where he'll cream that cover drive, Max. So, you got to look yeah. at it both ways and go, well, you know. And you know what? He's allowed to have a blimp once and once in a blue moon. So, we'll Absolutely. see what happens. See what happens in the recent, in the next fixture. If he does the same thing again, then I would question, then I'd properly question his, te- I, I'd properly question his technique. Um, I think his techniques we've been under question for a little bit now. He's getting older as well, Max. That's something to think about. The eye does lose does lose its touch as the years go on, uh, especially at that level to play uh, um, that level to be that good. Um, yeah, it is quite hard, quite hard to hold the hold that level. So yeah, but yeah. also you know um, as we'll move on here with Queensland and Tasmania. Um, yep. You know someone who's come back into form is Joe Burns. He made 171. Uh, in Queensland's first innings of 275. He was the only one to get over 50. Um, as Tasmania in their first innings made a very nice 332. Uh, Caleb Jewell made 140. Um, he batted really well on a... It wasn't a much a bit of a road, but it did do enough for the bowlers. The likes of Mark Stickett, he got a couple of wickets. Xavier Bartlett, um, also for, for Tassie... Um, the man from the Melbourne Renegades, uh, Seymour, bowling his uh, Ryan Arm off spinners and then bowling his uh, medium. So doing with the Funky Miller kind of worked for him as well. And I think they even brought on Jake Doran to bowl a couple overs. So uh, Tassie, Tassie had one of those days with the ball a little bit. They were getting a few wickets with their part-timers. So, uh, But Joe Burns got back in form of 171. That's really great for him. I'm really pleased for him. I think he really yeah. needs to get those big runs going again and probably put pressure on... Um, though likes of Pekoski and that, and to be fair to Pekoski, he's got to he's got to get a uh, shoulder injury. Um, he's going to get shoulder surgery this week with his shoulder, so probably Burns. If he can probably get some runs going, he'll probably can get back to that form of playing Test cricket again, and hopefully he does because I think he's been a bit unlucky recently, and hopefully he can continue that form. And um, as as we're speaking today, day four is today, so if anyone's uh, uh, they want to watch the game. Um, be an interesting one. Queensland need two seventy-seven to win. So next week we'll talk about a hopefully a result for Queensland. Hopefully they get the win, or Tasmania get the win on the other. So uh, be, yeah. it's a pretty even game of cricket. Absolutely. And then there's also the New Zealand taking on Australia in the the T20 internationals, um, which that that starts on Monday. Um, that that'll be on Foxtel and KO, uh, which you can tune into at. 5 p.m. Um, so that'll be great to watch. Good time, that start time. Um, and that'll be intriguing. And uh, we'll sit back ne- next week, I'm sure, Patrick, and we'll um, assess where our T20 men's international team is at and how that series is going. Um, 
But, yeah, uh, I think it's cool. I think it's uh, caught up on us a bit, Max. Um, I don't think anyone's really thought about. It. There's going to be a T20 series against New Zealand. Uh, we're also we were also meant to play a test series against South Africa, as we said before. You know, we South Africa and Australia with the postponement of that test series um, due to the COVID issue and. Um, you know, we're living in this post-COVID world. So it um, be interesting to see how New Zealand go with, they had a lockdown only recently. So I'm surprised the series is still going ahead considering the fact that they've had lockdowns and restrictions on crowds and that. So um, be good though to see a packed crowd in, in Christchurch for the first T20. Uh, quite interesting, Australia not gone with a stronger side. They've kept the same team as they were going to go for um, yeah before South Africa got postponed. So that's interesting there. And then on New Zealand, on the other hand, they haven't played a, they haven't played a game of cricket for since um, early January, I think, or mid-January. So yeah. what, it's quite interesting. It's, this series has come out the blue a bit. So um, yeah. just probably it'd, probably it'd probably be a nothing series in the context of world cricket, but it'd be probably important for Australia to kind of win just to give them a bit of a pump up after a bit of a tricky summer. So, um, yeah. yeah. Just to finish on this, Patrick, it's a bit of a political question, but while people can't do international travel to see, you know, their family from overseas and stuff like that, what are your thoughts on um, athletes, professional sporting athletes and teams touring countries during the pandemic right now um, and, and um, and visiting countries to play cricket games? And sporting competitions, there was, I heard a, a, f- a few complaints that about the Australian Open continuing um, during that lockdown that happened in Victoria. What are your thoughts on sporting competitions, professional competitions happening and, and athletes being able to travel internationally during the pandemic and, and, um, and then play these sporting competitions? Well, uh, firstly, I'll say the Australian Open. Um, it's been a great tournament, and I think it's been they've been very lucky to be continuing. Um, I don't I don't agree with the argument of oh well, they're professional athletes are essential uh, essential people. Um, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a uh, contradiction when you've got local cricketers and local sports people would, who could argue the same, even though we don't get paid and we don't we don't do the same number of hours of training, we can still argue that argument. And I think you know. If I can't go and see my grandmother, I think I should not be able to play a tennis match. And that's just my argument. I think pre- previously before the whole lockdown in Victoria, I'd say, you know, the Australian Open, go ahead. If we've got no cases, that's okay. Um, but if you're going into a lockdown, then probably the tennis players, if you told Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, those likes of people and said to them, hey, guys, you can't, um, you can't play for five days, I think Rafa and that would have the common sense logic to say, well, you know, uh, maybe this is not a good idea. Maybe let's just let them let them do their five days of lockdown. We'll do our five days of lockdown with them and then play the tournament through. And the only issue is, is that the money aspect of it's huge. Yeah. Uh, also, at the same time, at the same time, I get the argument of why they should play as well to keep the entertainment and keep the fans happy, which is probably not a bad thing. I think it was kind of good because we got to see some interesting people push through the ranks, um, especially the wild card player in Konachov, someone who I think would have gone under the radar in the first round. No one would have talked about him and he's ended up getting to a semi-final and just losing to Djokovic in three sets. Um, he probably could have broke him in the third, but just got a bit unlucky playing against the world number one. But um, the positive thing is, you know, they're able to get the tournament done and I think that's a great thing and a great achievement. At the same time, there's a lot of people who would argue, um, like me personally, I'd say the Australian Open should just not go ahead if you don't. 
it, it, it should not go ahead if you've got a lockdown. And, you know, look at, look at other sporting countries around the world. You know, I know England are playing soccer still in the Premier League. Um, they're still playing and the argument is for that as well to try and keep the fans as happy as they can. And I think Absolutely. that's not a, bad, not a bad way of thinking about it. At the same time, you know, the, the local... The local mum and dad will be arguing, you know, I can't see my grandma, but these guys can kick a soccer ball around. Well, what's the difference? So, and the argument is, well, they're in hubs and all the bubbles and all this stuff. And you go, well, okay, fair enough. But I also will say this, Max, and this is something that should be pointed out. The AFL are the only competition that did not play during the lockdown in Victoria. And I know they played that one round, but after that, they said, we're not playing here because we can't. So I don't see the issue. I don't see the, I don't see why... If they couldn't play when they had the lockdown, then why couldn't they could have played? You know, so yeah. it's a bit of an odd one. If you know, if you know Max, but you know that's how it rolls. And probably, probably the difference is that the, the Australian Open is a multi-million-dollar business, same as the AFL, but probably a much more global audience uh, yeah. to the AFL. So probably they got more power on it. Um, but also to finish off, finally, um, I'd say also it's just great that some sport can continue and. I think we've got to be very grateful that, you know, the NBA is still kicking along and, you know, the NFL got through the Super Bowl okay and the MLB is pushing through to yeah. try and get through the training and, you know, the Champions League's even though it's got to play the first league in Hungary, um, you know, all that stuff, they're probably, they're probably happy and glad that they can get through that and play and I think a lot of fans will be happy in that, you know, probably, probably the one thing that a lot of people are delighted is sports still around and I think that's a positive and, We'll just have to continue with it. Maybe if you don't, you don't like it, you don't like it. But at the same time, you know, it could it could be worse. So you can't. Yeah. It's kind of win or lose battle in that situation, and then that argument of well, what should we should we stop the tournament or should we not? And then the other argument is if you stop a tournament, especially the Australian Open, uh, the calendar and the tennis tournaments get all out of date out of date by five days. So you know the French Open gets pushed back, Wimbledon gets pushed back. Uh, all the massive APT tour events that are meant to happen, you know, like the likes of Monte Carlo, Barcelona, um, they get pushed back as well at the same time. And then the other argument I have also, Max, is that the Grand Prix gets postponed to November. Now, the Grand Prix is a three-day event. You could, pro- If the Australian Open can be held for two weeks with, you know, a minimal crowd and all that stuff, then why can't the Grand Prix just be held mm. on a normal time? And the argument is, well, they need to do 14-day quarantine. And the F1 people who are probably the best in the world and probably proved a point to the whole sporting world, you can continue a racing circuit tournament um, uh, while a pandemic is going is because they're so uh, much organised. And I think that's something that uh, maybe a lot of sporting organisations probably looked at and said, well, we're going to follow what the FIA are doing with the Grand Prix and the, you know, the Super Rally Championship. Um, uh, you know, they were able to push through and probably, and probably something that a lot of people... Um, realise that, you know, this is the way to follow it. And I think probably the F1 got a bit stitched up in a way. I think they could have been able to drive in March. They, I don't I don't see the argument. I don't buy the argument of, oh, they've got to do 14 day quarantine when they'll, they'll probably all be in hotels anyway for the three days when they're driving. So, um, and they get tested as well on the, on the, on, on all three days. So, you know, as we saw Lance Stroll, get, Lance Stroll was tested positive on the Saturday qualifying in Nuremberg and then they brought in Nico Holtenberg straight away. So there was no, there was no issues or complaints and, so it's quite interesting in that argument as well. But, you know, it's kind of, mm-hmm. I think the issue, I think tennis people will be very grateful they're able to play. I think the journalists will be proud they, they're able to push through and get through it. But at the same time, the general public have a feeling of, uh, you know, distaste to, you know, it's a bit like, well, why, why can you eat that food? But I can't, you know, so 
it's it's an interesting argument and but it's just great to see sport back in in some form and way and you know what i, I don't i don't mind it anyway so yeah so yeah. that's uh thanks for that patrick that was um br- brilliantly well summed up you uh you, you you've come from different perspectives from you know the fans perspective to someone who who can't visit um you know their their parents because they're in a nursing home um there are different aspects to it and different scenarios but ultimately i think having sport on during this pandemic has been so good for so many people i understand if you don't like sport um it can be that it doesn't it won't quite make sense because you don't see the value in having it on um but for so many people it's so valuable to have sport on and without sport being on at the moment so many people would sort of be be left without without much to do really like obviously there's stuff you can do but um for example during that five-day lockdown um you know, we had the Australian Open. How good's that? A lot of people watch the Australian Open. To have that on during the lockdown was so good for for so many people. And I understand the athletes playing during the lockdown might not be the best thing um, in terms of keeping everyone safe. But ultimately, these athletes getting tested every every single day or every third day, uh, they've done 14 days quarantine and... And they're providing a wonderful, um, they're, they're providing great entertainment, really, for everyone. Um, and I think they're, they're kept safe. They're in these hubs. Um, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're, they're following the rules. Uh, well, at least they should be. Um, so I think, I think it's great that sport's on. I understand that, you know, it, it can be a bit of a struggle because you can't visit your mother, for example, who's in the nursing home. Um, I think that's where... That, that's that's a real tough one because you, you wanna you don't want you don't want the virus to spread and and they're vulnerable to to the virus so um, we want to sort of keep that under control we don't want people visiting nursing homes and stuff like that um, and I think sometimes that's sort of the situation we're in unfortunately um, mm-hmm. and yeah it's uh it's yeah, it's interesting, but but I, I certainly think it's great, and I, I think the argument that people can have that on and keep them psychologically refreshed and and up and about without sport on, you sort of don't get that 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 element of life where you can watch sport and watch a live sport, which is so big for millions of people, and I think that's it's awesome that we've got that, and I reckon that that's played a big part in in getting people you know, keeping people ticking and, and keeping relationships going in terms of, you know, you can ring your mate, talk about um, Novak Djokovic against Medvedev tomorrow night, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's brilliant that we've got it on. Um, and I will ask you now, uh, as we move on, who is your tip for the uh, the Australian Open finals uh, in the men's and women's? In the men's, we've got Novak Djokovic taking on Daniil Medvedev. And then in the women's, we got... Jennifer Brady against Naomi Osaka, the world number twenty-two, against Osaka at number three. Um, what are you? Who are you predicting? Who are you tipping? Uh, well, mate, I'll tip Osaka for the women's. Uh, I think she's played a really good tournament. Um, she really out-dominated, out-muscled Serena uh, in all aspects of the court. 
probably the one thing that makes her different to um, Ash Barty in a way is probably just there's no international pressure on her. Uh, not sorry, not international pressure. I think national pressure on her to win. Uh, I don't know how many don't know how many Japanese people follow the tennis, but um, you know it's not as not as a massive pressure on her to perform for the country. Um, also, something that I think makes her just looking like Serena is the way she plays. It's so powerful. The serve is maybe the same pace as Serena was at her prime. Uh, the forehand and backhand is quality. Uh, you know, her net court play is excellent. Um, and also her ground strokes are really good and something that I just couldn't believe yesterday when I watched her play against Serena. She just just d- did those things so right and held onto the clutch moments when she needed to. Uh, the, other, the other side of the draw, Jennifer Brady, she's come out of the clouds a little bit. Um, got a bit of lucky with Ash Barty getting knocked out earlier. Got away with a few wins early on. She played against some lesser opponents, um, which helped her get through. So a bit of luck on her way. Great, good on her making it. Um, hopefully, hopefully she can cause an upset for the pundits. But you know, I think Osaka should do it comfortably. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's six love, six love. Honestly, um, I just think Osaka wow. is just one too good, way too good in powerful play, and probably and probably deserves it, um, and probably should be the world number one. Um, I don't, I don't discredit Ash Barty, but I just think probably if someone who's been, you know, winning some tournaments and uh, probably playing really consistent tennis, while Ash Barty didn't go to, they didn't go to the French or the US due to coronavirus, and that's fair enough as well. Um, I don't see the argument of trying to keep her a world number one if you haven't played a tournament, you know. So, uh, and that's so disrespected Ash Barty. She's done an amazing job and great effort for her as well. She was very unlucky. I think she'll be ruining the ruining the miss opportunity she had. She probably would have made the final. Um, if she got through and probably would have played Osaka in the final, which would have been an epic, uh, would have been a three-setter match. But Osaka for me in the, in the women's. And then for the men's, uh, I would say it will be Djokovic in a f- tight four sets. Um, I just think Djokovic will just, just power through. Um, the interesting thing will be that both players are disliked by the fans. Um, last night, Medvedev was getting crucified by the fans every time he tried to serve a fault. Uh, the fans were giving it to him. So it was a big Greek crowd last night against Sitsipas. Yeah. But again, Medvedev found a way to, you know, get the big points, find the big shots. Um, the one thing that goes, the one thing that's going for Medvedev is he's on this amazing run of 19 wins in a row. So if he, if he wins this second, the next one, it'll be 20 wins in a row and probably, it'll probably go up, he'll probably go up to world number two uh, due to Rafael Nadal lost to Sitsipas in that yeah. epic five. So, well, but at the same time as well, Jock. That stat, hang on, I'll, I'll interrupt yeah. there, Patrick, because that stat is um, quite interesting um, because Jennifer Brady and Medvedev, they've both won 20 in a row and they're both yeah. going for their 21st win um, uh, and, it's, and it's in that Grand Slam uh, final. So that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Well, but, uh, unique way of thinking about it, Max. Um, but, yeah, I think Djokovic will just do it tight. Um, but we could be speaking about a, about a Medvedev win. Both players are disliked by the fans, which makes it weird. Um, I think a, a, a other sport journal would say the same thing as well. Probably Djokovic just has the better better power and play. The one thing that Djokovic um, was interesting was last Friday, as you remember, Max, he was playing against Taylor Fritz, and Taylor Fritz had him on toast. The injury cloud. And then the crowd were getting involved and there's a big American contingent there and the Serbian crowd were getting quiet down at the end and then Djokovic got animated and started chucking rackets around and all these usual antics and then 
Okay, now that we've heard the umpire said, oh, uh, fans, you all got to leave. And then after that, <laughs> I think Vukovic must have found a way to just psych his p- opponent out and probably, you know, making up the... I don't think he made it up. He had a donable injury. He had a, he, he had a donable injury, and that's... that was a, that's um, And that, I'm being serious, he, he did have it, and I think he, he kind of just pushed through the pain, and probably what's helped him is he's maybe had a lot more lesser... Games is in terms of they're not being pushed. While Medvedev's, what's we hit as well, Max, is Medvedev's coach and him were blooming on early on in the tournament. So um, that makes it more interesting and it makes it an interesting dynamic. Um, I think last night Medvedev just played so much better against Sitsipas, uh, just in ground strokes, in general play. And Sitsipas looked really tired. It looks interesting though, Max, with everyone who's backed up playing five setters, they're not being able to back up. Dominic Team, Dimitrov, um, and and um, also maybe maybe Medvedev, I don't know, but you know, and Sitsipas as well. They just yeah. they look like they get tired. Brett Nadal, same thing. They can't back up that epic, epic five setter and just push on. Um, Djokovic has been able to do that, and I think the good thing for Djokovic is is that he's been able to. He played a pretty easy semi final against the qualifier in Konatrov, and now now we'll play Medvedev, who's a very different player to the qualifier. So, uh, and someone that he knows he can beat him. So um, that'll be interesting. I think the one thing that Djok- the one thing that's going for Djokovic is probably there'll be a less um, anti-crowd for him and more of a bigger, more anti-crowd for Medvedev. So that's going to make an issue. But I think it'll be a tight four-setter. Um, probably might go three hours. It'll be four sets. I think Djokovic will just find a way in the end to get the win and re- uh, record his um, next Grand Slam. I think he wins 19 Grand Slams if he wins it. So it'll be one off Federer and Nadal. So... Yeah, be interesting. Thanks for your thoughts, Patrick. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, I think you've picked two winners there. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, from the research I've done and from the viewing of the Australian Open, I think you're right. Um, and look, I just hope it's close. That's all I want, really. Um, I always love to ha- see a close contest. Um, so that'll be great. Um, but I know you've got to go off to a cricket game now, so uh, all the best for that. And uh, thank, thanks for coming on again, and I uh, really appreciate your thoughts. Absolute pleasure, Max, and um, hope we'll talk soon. And now we're going to welcome our next guest onto the Sports Hour, a regular of the show, Mr. Charlie Gill. How are you going today? I'm going great. Max, as always, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure, and... Um, yeah, it's great to have you on. And um, today we're going to talk a little bit of tennis um, and the Australian Open. Uh, it's getting down to the business end of the tournament with the men's final on tomorrow night and the women's final um, on Saturday. Um, now, the show is actually going live on air. Or it's going on air, um, I meant to say, uh, on Monday. So we're, we're, we're going to be talking, we're sort of previewing the show and then they're going to be hearing everything we've said about it um, after the events have happened. Um, yeah. That's fine uh, because we want to get some predictions and we will, we will um, look at our predictions <laughs> after the uh, yeah, okay, uh, cool. events have happened. So uh, you're going to be scrutinized um, unless you uh, get all your predictions right. So a um, bit of pressure on and uh, we'll kick it off with uh, the men's singles final um, yeah. between Novak Djokovic and um, Medvedev, uh, Daniil Medvedev. And uh, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. The world number one against 
the world number four in Medvedev. Who wins yeah. this one and why? Yeah, well, um, my just I'll just sort of start off with I think what my just sort of base prediction is, which I think it's going to be Djokovic in five sets, um, uh, which I'm not is not the not the outcome that I want. The outcome I want would be Medvedev in five sets, a good game, and I'd like to see Medvedev win. I'm not the biggest fan of, of Novak. I, I've got nothing against him, though. No. It's just I'm a, you know I'm, I'm a big fan of Roger and Rafa as well, and I don't really want to see. Um, you know, I want them to continue to be considered the, the best. Um, though some people might say Djokovic already is the best ever. But for me, it's always going to be Roger. But regardless of that, um, the reason I think it's going to be like Djokovic... Sounds like you've got a lot against five, Novak. Nah. <laughs> uh, look, I, it's just... Uh, Spit it I, out. I, I, never really, I never really support him when he's going... Like, for instance, I was um, going very hard for Karatsev. Uh, Karatsev um, yep. in their semi-final um, and yeah I guess just Djokovic's sort of vibe on court I don't really um, doesn't really resonate with me um, fair enough uh, but and also like I'd love to I would love to see Karatsev make the final because he's like the first person in history because it's his Grand Slam debut and he would have been the first person in history to make the final well, he was the first person in history to make the semi-final and it just would have been a you know fairy tale etc yeah. um, but um uh, I the think Medvedev can push Djokovic because if you watch that semi-final Djokovic versus Kar- Karatsev, like Djokovic was just so good and just sort of like completely unbeatable. Um, mm. And Karatsev uh, going to that match was um, like he, like the key facets of his game was how hard he could hit the ball. Like he had the top speeds, I think, for forehands and backhands um, in uh, the tournament. Uh uh, until he got kicked out, like he had the the, the fastest yeah. backhand and forehand, um, and also he was uh, good at breaking. I think he, uh, I'm pretty sure he had broken uh, his opponent's serve the most uh, of anyone up until when he got um, eliminated, and he just wasn't able to really um, do that against Djokovic. Um, he didn't hit sort of like massive like winners uh, that. Um, flew past Djokovic because Djokovic is so good at getting the ball back and I don't think he ever broke Djokovic. I watched the whole game, I should remember, but I'm not sure, but I don't think he ever did. Um, yeah. Uh, or if he did, Djokovic broke right back. Um, but, um, yeah. So... In terms of Djokovic, I've got a question and with the serving, who... I saw Medvedev play um, last week uh, and it was on Friday. Uh, well, sorry, yeah, he played against Tsitsipas and his serving seemed to be really good. That was something that I saw and I thought, wow, his serving looks a bit better than, than anyone else's I've seen this Australian Open. Is it fair to say that that's the case and that he will be really effective if he serves very well and I think he has a better serve than Djokovic? Now, Medvedev. On he Medvedev, served, yeah. He served looked very. He looked quality against Tsitsipas when I watched that game. Is that true? Is it fair to say that he serves better than Djokovic? Mm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure. Djokovic is such a robot that I can't really, like, I wouldn't really be able to point any, out any flaws in his game, or even, yeah. you know, I'm not don't yeah. know enough about tennis to point out the obvious things that Medvedev does better than Djokovic because Djokovic does so many things so well. 
Um, the thing about Medvedev is he's so tall, he's 198 centimeters, um, and he can just sort of like cover the court really quickly. Um, and he, I'm not sure if it was just because Sitsipas was off, but he was constantly um, breaking Sitsipas or being close in, or like almost breaking Sitsipas throughout the whole match. Um, yeah. Whenever yeah. Sitsipas had a second serve, um, Medvedev was able to return it pretty easily, um, punch it into one of the corners, and then Sitsipas is on the back foot. Um, and so, yeah, so the reason my prediction is Djokovic in five is because Djokovic is a robot that has won eight, I think, Australian Open so far and is, um, you know, you just have to call, of course, he's going to be the favourite. Um, mm. But Medvedev has won something like 21 games in a row, I think it was, 21 matches in a row. I think it was like 11 of which was against top 10 players, which is um, like extremely impressive. Um, and, yeah, some, you know, you'd be fair to call him the best player in the world at the moment, I reckon. Um, mm. So... He's got so much momentum uh, that I think that um, he will be able to push Djokovic. But Djokovic has been in this game a long time. He has, you know, he's pretty clutch, I have to say. Like, he always um, sort of turns on and can sort of do what he needs to do in those big moments. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, there's lots of examples. But the one that's close to my heart that was heartbreaking for me was in the Wimbledon um, final, I think, of 2019. When... um. Federer had, I think, a couple of championship points. Djokovic saved both of them and went on to win the championship. And that was heartbreaking for me, but it's just a testament to how good Djokovic is in pressure situations. So I think Medvedev can push him, but just due to Djokovic's experience, he's going to win um, in five sets. And hopefully it is a five-setter because after two relatively anticlimactic semifinals, you know, we deserve a, a big final. And I think it's it's definitely possible. And I think that that's the most likely outcome, that it will be uh, uh, sort of a marathon. The other reason I think Djokovic um, is going to win is because he's got extra time to recover. Um, mm. And they're both just coming off three setters. So the odds are definitely in Djokovic's favour, but I think Medvedev can, um, can push him pretty far. Yeah, absolutely. And... Hopefully we're not sitting here. Our listeners will be sitting here on a Monday listening right now. Hopefully they're not laughing at us right now um, about our predictions. Mm. And uh, The other thing I want to say is I'd like to see some drama on court because Medvedev is really good at that. And that's one of the reasons I like him. And I, I was going to go for him regardless mm. against Djokovic. But I actually really like Medvedev because he's pretty funny. Um, and you can just sort of look. It was interesting actually because he played Tsitsipas last night, obviously. And they have got a bit of a rivalry. Um, well, not so much of a rivalry because I think the record is 5-1. Um, the win-loss record is 5-1. The head-to-head record is 5-1 in Medvedev's favour. But there's a pretty funny YouTube video where they have sort of a disagreement on court after some match in some tournament. Um, and yeah. Medvedev is saying, saying to Sitsipas, like, look, if you want to fight, you know, come say it to my face and stuff. And then Medvedev, of course, has had the uh, sort of the run in the US Open. I can't remember what year it was, but he was just getting uh, completely booed by the American fans. Um, and yeah. he said in an interview afterwards, you know, thanks for booing me because it's just fueling me. Um, yeah. It's going to be enough to fuel me for the next five matches. And then he literally, I think, won the next five matches and, and um, the, got yeah. to the final and lost to Nadal, I think, and, in a five setter. And I think Djokovic is the exact same. He loves that, 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 that yeah, you're right. energy you're right. The from only the crowd. difference is that Djokovic, I, I mean, I'm sure Medvedev would love, you know, support. Um, but I can just sort of see in Djokovic that he just 
he's just he can't seem to work out exactly why and it really annoys him that he doesn't have the sort of level of fan support that um Nadal and especially Federer have who are yeah. both just like so successful and are both just sort of winning machines and yeah. yet despite that they still have such support from sort of everyone um like even though Australians you know they say like sort of love an underdog Roger still gets so much support and so does Nadal meanwhile Djokovic in almost every game he plays is not you know um you know he hasn't got like the majority of the fans with him and that was even before the whole covid thing happened yeah um so um yeah there's been while I think Djokovic wishes that the crowd was with him uh you know I'm, I'm sort of sort of playing up Medvedev is a bit of a you know sort of cartoonish sort of um mm. villain but I reckon you know he, he he doesn't mind the crowd doesn't like isn't with him he he sort of likes it and it you know it fuels his game in it yeah um it uh you know yeah it's just sort of funny yeah. Yeah. So, um, but he, despite that, though, I think that the crowd is going to be on Medvedev's side in the final because of the underdog factor and because of the anti-Djokovic factor, I guess. That's right. And look, it's the way it's 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 the way you carry yourself. And I think the issue with Djokovic this tournament is when he came out and um, started um, trying to take over the Department of Health in Australia and bring in some new rules around COVID and, and what yeah. play should be and should, should do and can't do. Um, and I think when he did that, uh, that didn't, it didn't come across well uh, to supporters and, and yeah. Australians. Um, but, but yeah, but even before that, he didn't, he never was able to get yeah, the that's sort right. of support that yeah. Federer and Nadal get um, yeah. sort of no matter what, because yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there was another thing. It's the injury cloud. Um, it's the injury cloud that um, he has uh, the, the Joker, um, and and they've mentioned that he got injured. Um, well, you know, after the game, he's like, "I tore my calf and I won't be able to play." That was probably about three matches ago, and since then, from that interview, he actually said, "Oh, I might not be able to play the next round. I don't know." Well. He and, loves doing that, to be honest. That's another reason why I'm not the biggest fan of Djokovic. Yeah. Because he's got a history of sort of playing off the injuries on court. I'm not saying that he's faking every time, but he has a history of sort of taking injury breaks at the you know uh, right time with like an errant thumb or something that wasn't bothering him until his opponent's gotten a little bit momentum and then suddenly it starts to bother, bother yeah. him. Um, but he's not really the only player to do that. So, you know, I can't and I don't think of... um, I don't think that injury is affecting him. At all, I think that's fair to say. He said after the game, yeah, he said after the semi-final, he's never felt as good as he is at the moment. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there you which go. Which is another reason to uh to, to back, back him in. into the back him in with the final. I don't know what the gambling odds are, but you know, like he's they, just just favourite. It's like a dollar. Yeah, okay. Dollar Interesting. It's going to be a good final, actually. Like that. Well, it's I hope be so. A good and we move over. Yeah, and I think. It's going to be interesting. I think Djokovic has definitely got, I think he's got the edge over him, um, but you never know. You just never know. And Medvedev, I think, I don't think, yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be close. But I think Djokovic, he's got the experience and everything and he's just got the edge over him. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we move over to the women's final, which is on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And Jennifer Brady against Naomi Osaka. Jennifer Brady is uh, ranked 22 in the world and uh, Naomi Osaka, number three. She beat uh, Serena Williams. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and she bat Sway Su, who was a a, a very um, a, a, she was an up and coming tennis star this tournament, which I enjoyed actually mm-hmm. watching her. I watched her early in the tournament, and she did very well to get to that point. Uh, that was actually the quarterfinal, so that was good on her. But I think Naomi Osaka goes into this one pretty comfortable favourites. Is that fair to say? Is that what you think, Charlie? Um, it's true. There's a bit more sort of uh, uh, potential for surprise. Um, or there's a little bit more unpredictability in the results, because mainly just because of the fact that it's only best of three sets. And, you know, you'd think that the longer, you know, a match stretches, the sort of more, um, like, the more consistent the sort of the result's going to be. I'm trying to put put it put into words correctly. So, like, over five sets, um, those that have, like, the best endurance um, are going to sort of win more um, regularly. But when the match goes for a less amount of time... um, it sort of means that there's sort of more to sort of pack into a shorter amount of time, sort of more energy. And so it can be a bit more unpredictable. And maybe that's also why, um, aside from Serena Williams, of course, there hasn't been like a big four or a big three in women's tennis, the same way there is in men's tennis. Women's tennis, it's sort of more like there's always Serena and there's great players that can consistently, you know, uh, you know, uh, compete in grand slams and sometimes win finals, but it's sort of more of a sort of a bit more sort of, um, be more up in the air on who's going to get far in the tournaments. Um, and that's why, um, women's tennis can sometimes be more entertaining than men's tennis because of the unpredictability. I think I went to the, I went to the, um, uh, Australian Open a couple of weeks ago, I think, for the second round. Um, and I saw, I think I saw Berrettini versus uh, Kevin Anderson, the South African. Um, and then after that, uh, Gabriela came on and she played. I can't remember who she played. I think it was a Spaniard. Um, but the Berrettini versus Anderson game was just sort of quite you know, predictable. They were just holding serve and it was straight sets and it wasn't, you know, that exciting. Whereas in the Gavrilova game, it was a little bit more, you know, seemed like um, yeah. it was easier for the opponent to break. And Again, I'm not actually sure serving, if that's true or not. The serving gives the um, returner a bit more of a chance. Like, I think that makes Yeah, I don't a... know. I, that's why, I don't know. Like, mm. I mean, I'm not sure about that because it could be. Because, like, Serena can still, like, for, I'm just using her as an example. She can, like, still, like... That smash serve so hard, like can't yeah. remember the fig- the uh the um the, like the actual measurement in terms of speed, but like she's gonna, she, it's not like it's gonna be easier. I think for someone facing Serena Williams to break for a woman facing Serena Williams to break Serena Williams than it is for like say a, a man facing Kyrgios to break Kyrgios. Um. So I'm not sure actually, but maybe there's there's hmm. statistics that can tell you whether um, breaking a serve is yeah. It's probably actually a pretty like well-known thing, but I don't know like amongst yeah. in tennis that yeah. whether um, it's easier to break in women's tennis or not. Um, I'm not actually sure, but hmm. for some reason it seems like it would be to me. So you think I had a few uh, audio difficulties just before, but uh, did you say Osaka for this game? So yeah, I didn't actually say who I thought would win, but yeah, yeah. I think the cycle will win. Yeah, and it'll go to three sets. 
Um, no, I reckon straight sets. Mm. Well, let's hope that it's a close game. That's what I hope for in these matches because um, it it leaves a bit of a um, a little bit of a bit of a uh, what's the word? Just the feeling. Um, anyway, I don't. It doesn't feel like I'm fulfilled when the game ends after. Uh, two sets or after three sets for the men. I always wanted to go a bit longer. Um, but um, it's a pleasure to have you on today, Charlie, and thanks for your thoughts on the Australian Open. Um, it's been a great tournament. The one last question I just want to ask you, and I just need it to be a quick answer because the show has been a long one today. But yep. were you happy for the Australian Open to continue over the lockdown in Victoria? Um. Well, I guess it depends on what the alternatives were. I love the tennis, so I want the tennis to be on. And, I mean, what's the other option? That we sort of have a pause for five days and then the crowds come back and the matches start back up after the five days of lockdown is over. That could have been fine as well. I would have been happy with that. Um, Pretty much, I just like the tennis and I like when it's on. So, well done to the, um, I guess, the government for getting it right with the Australian Open. I mean, if they did, who knows, maybe... There's still some more mistakes to be made. But, like, I'm just glad that the tennis was on in the first place. Great. Thanks for that. And um, I think a lot of people were happy that the tennis was on. And I think it provides a wonderful outlet for people during the lockdown to watch the tennis and yeah. sort of... It would have been especially great if, like, Deminor and um, Gavrilova and Barty and Kyrgios could have gotten further. That would have been, like, sort of That's something it. to remember. That last um, name. The Australians... The Australians um, sort of keeping up the morale while we're all in lockdown. It didn't eventuate that way, but it would have been good. But, yeah. Yeah. And um, can you tell us about the excitement machine, Kyrgios, just last thing? What, what was your excitement levels like? Can you describe that match Kyrgios played against uh, Tsitsipas? Can you describe your, 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 your feeling? Say that again. I don't I don't, did he play Sitsa Pass? I don't think he did. Uh, it was... It, oh, Dominic Team. my apologies. When he played Dominic yeah. Team. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a great game. It was a great game and he's a rock star and I just hope that he can continue to, I mean, try hard because if he wins a Grand Slam, especially if he wins an Australian Open, the hype is going to be... Out of this world, you know what I'm saying. Massive. He's, you know, what I'm saying? he's almost yeah. as big as um. He's not as big as Federer, Djokovic, or uh, Nadal, but he's I reckon bigger. he's a close fourth. <laughs> yeah, I reckon he's a very he's a close fourth to them, um. Because he's an entertainment beast, and uh, I hope he continues to be to do keep doing his big boy things and. Uh, just yeah. bring in the crowds. That's what he does. He's a king. Yeah, um, I agree. But uh, Charlie, thanks for coming on. Great so. to have you on. Great to have your thoughts on the Australian Open. <laughs> and let's hope our predictions are safe and sound when the show goes on air. Thank you, Charlie. They will be. I'm 100% confident. And if I'm incorrect in any way, I will streak Brunswick Street Oval. The audience can hold me to that. This has been Charlie Gill signing off from the Sports Hour. And that just about wraps up the show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. There was plenty in there for you this week. Uh, Different sports, different events, different opinions. Uh, 
but I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a great show, and uh, feel free to jump on our Twitter page, at SportsHourFM. Give us a follow, and uh, you'll be keeping up to date with everything that's happening. Likewise, with uh, the, the Brimag Neighbourhood House Facebook page, jump on that, like that one as well, and of course, Live FM um, and Making Media, run by Ralph Barber. Um, that's a fantastic page, and uh, he's the one that really brings this show together for us and uh, allows it to happen here on Brimbank Live. So thanks very much once again for tuning into the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live and Live FM. I hope you have a great week, and uh, thank you very much. With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Mm-hmm.